good to see all of you. Um, I'll be preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 31, if you would look to God's Word with me. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, "Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me." But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. This is God's word given for our good. Please pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this Lord's Day uh, seeking wisdom from your word. And we know that even in a passage as uh, gruesome as this one in 1 Samuel chapter 31, we know that you speak to us today. And so I ask that you would speak to us uh, through your Son, that you would show us his face and that you would change us by it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again to all of you. Uh, as Nathan mentioned, my name is John Mata. I'm at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. And I'm also the pastoral intern at Christ Church Bellingham. And I have the privilege of preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 31 this week, and this is a pretty um, hard story to read, right? If you look at the life of Saul, it is stubborn act of disobedience after stubborn act of disobedience, and it ultimately leads to his death uh, as it does today in today's passage. And so it's fitting, I think, that our topic for today's sermon is the topic of death, the topic of death. Our year has come to an end. It's January it's cold, and so I think it's fitting that we think about death. 
Each of us, every person in this room, will one day face death. There are no exceptions to that rule apart from the return of our Lord Jesus. And so it's important that we take the proper time to think about death, to talk about death, and to prepare for death. Part of the purpose of today's passage is to force us to pause on the topic of death. It doesn't mention Saul's death as an afterthought, right? It doesn't just say, and then Saul died. It says, thus Saul died. It wants us to notice the manner of his death, the tragedy of his death, the brutality of his death, because we ourselves will each one day die. Each of us, myself, ourselves, our spouses, our children, our parents, everyone will one day look death in its face. And so how can we prepare for that day? How can we approach death with confidence and without any fear? Well, before I answer those questions, I think it's, it'd be helpful to have some summary of the story thus far. We're in the last chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, and so it'd be helpful to hear some of the things that led to Saul's death. Right? You may be surprised at how tragic his death is. You may even be surprised at how brutal his death is. But if you know the story of 1 Samuel, you will probably not be surprised at how inevitable his death is. And so how did we get here? How did we get to the point where we are, the people of Israel are going into the land, they're taking the land to both the death of their king and the loss of portions of their land? How could this have happened? Well, the book of 1 Samuel began with the birth of Samuel in 1 Samuel uh, chapter uh, 2. And Samuel was called to be both a prophet as well as a judge over the people of Israel. And he was not the only judge. There were other judges, some of whom were not so good at their job. Right? And some of these ungodly judges were Samuel's sons. And in response to the ungodly judges, the people in Israel became very discontent with the judges over Israel. So much so that in 1 Samuel 8, they said, give us a king to rule over us. And then the Lord, through the words of Samuel, uh, warns them what this king would be like, that he wouldn't be the type of person who would care for God's people. He would be the type of king who fought wars and plundered for his own sake. And then after Samuel's warning, the text says this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So from the very beginning... Saul and the rest of Israel are in this situation in 1 Samuel 31 because of Israel's disobedience in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Disobedience got them here. And then again, at the very beginning of Saul's reign in 1 Samuel 13, uh, Saul is waiting on the Lord. He's waiting for Samuel to arrive. And then in uh, 1 Samuel 13, 11, Samuel says this. He says, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal. 
and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. And then verse 14, now your kingdom shall not continue. So those of us who know the ultimate end of disobedience know that the ultimate end of disobedience is death. This is how it has been, been since Genesis chapter 3. Israel was disobedient in demanding a king. Saul was disobedient in the sacrifice that he made to the Lord. And death is the natural consequence of disobedience. And now in 1 Samuel 31, we're seeing the death of Saul and the death of his kingdom. Chapter 31, verse 6 again. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, on the same day together. Saul died, and his kingdom has come to an end. And disobedience has gotten them here. And yet death is inevitable for all of us. And so in light of this, I want to make three observations about death in answer to the question, how can I prepare to die well? How can I approach death with confidence and without fear? And these really are the same question. Three observations. First, death is tragic, so we must look to Jesus who will raise the dead to life. Second, death is brutal, and so we must find hope outside of death. And third, death is universal, and so we must prepare for it. Death is tragic, death is brutal, and death is universal. Death is tragic, and so we must look to Jesus who will raise us from the dead. There's really one aspect of the tragedy of death that today's text presents to us. Look down at verses 1 and 2. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The Philistines have outlived every person mentioned in this story. They've outlived Saul, they've outlived Jonathan, they've outlived Jonathan, Jonathan's brothers, the other sons of Saul, and they've even outlived the prophet Samuel. That's the Philistines. Since chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel have been in conflict with the Philistines. And then five verses into chapter 13, Saul is already in his, uh, early in his reign as king. He's fighting the Philistines again. And then throughout his entire life, Saul has been unable to defeat the Philistines. Not only this, it actually seems as though he's lost the fight. Right? Saul has been unable to defeat the enemies of God because of his disobedience to the Lord in uh, chapter 13. And now Saul and the other men are losing the battle against the Philistines, and so they choose to flee. They choose to flee, and now they're backed into a corner, and Saul despairs. Saul despairs because the Philistines bring death with them. They bring death with them. They're God's enemy, and death is God's enemy. And the tragedy of death which this passage presents to us is that at times... At times, it feels as though 
death has won. It feels as though God's enemies have won. And at times it can cause us to despair or to make foolish decisions because of how things appear. And we see this in Saul. Look down at verses 3 and 4. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Saul saw that his death seemed inevitable, and so he resigned himself to it. Yet this is tragic, because had, Sam, or had Saul been obedient to the Lord in 1 Samuel 13, these things could have been avoided. Lest we be too hard on Saul, how many of us despair ourselves into sin? Have you ever said to yourself, well, things aren't going very well in my life right now, and so I'm just going to fill in the blank. God hasn't given me the things that I want, and so I'm going to disagree in this certain way. It's easy to think this way. It's hard to say, oh man, God hasn't given me what I want. He hasn't given me the house that I want or the children that I want, but I trust Him anyways. It's easy to say that God hasn't given me the good gift that I want, and so I'm going to take it on my own terms. I'm going to bend the rules a bit. The tragedy of death is that it is God's enemy, and even good things, let alone bad things, can lead us to death when we live life on our own terms. So I'll put this a little bit differently. I work at uh, with youth at Christchurch Bellingham, and uh, many youth at Christchurch want to marry young. Right? They want to marry young, and it's pretty easy to go a year without God giving you a spouse. What happens after five years or ten years? It can become very easy to compromise on very important things because of a desire for a good gift. But that compromise is not worth it. Saul wanted to defeat the Philistines, but he couldn't. And so he took it into his own hands. What are those things for you? Is there something that you have been tempted to take with your own hands because God hasn't given it to you yet? This taking things into his own hands is not a new thing for Saul. In 1 Samuel 13, again, the armies of Israel seem to be waning. And Saul takes things into his own hands. Now here he is again, repeating the same mistake, perpetuating the same pattern, the same problem, and it ultimately leads to his death. And so how do we break the tragic cycle which leads to death? How do we, especially when it is inevitable, escape the tragedy of death? Well, on the one hand, you don't. You don't escape death because we can't escape death. Whatever we say about 1 Samuel 31 and death, we can't say that it's not fair. Right? Scripture says, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the part of the curse in Genesis 3 that God placed on all humanity because of our sin. 
Death is the just consequence of our sin. And so on the other hand, the only way to escape the tragedy of death is through the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This really is the option, the tragic inevitability of death or trusting that one day Jesus will one day raise you from the dead. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the famous passage on the resurrection says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Verse 18, then those, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15 is that if there's no resurrection, that's it. You're done. It's over. You are dead in your sins. The only hope we have is that Christ himself was risen from the dead. And our only hope to escape death is to believe the promise of the gospel that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he will one day come to judge the living and the dead. Death is tragic, and so we must look to Jesus who will raise the dead to life. The second observation I have about death is that death is brutal, and so we must find hope outside of death. Death is brutal, and so we must find hope outside of death. Look at verse 8. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. This really is a brutal scene. Saul has taken his own life. His sons are dead. His servants have taken their own lives. And then the Philistines cut off his head. They put his armor in the temple of a false god. They fasten his headless body to the wall of their city all while announcing the good news of Saul's death. Several months ago, I was uh, speaking to a friend who would describe himself, he would say he's an atheist, or he would at least say he doesn't believe in life after death. And he said to me, um, he said, you know, I believe that one day uh, I will die, and my body will return to the dirt, and that will be it. And then he said, and that terrifies me. And while I appreciate his honesty, because a lot of people in Bellingham have said things to me like, when I die, I will return to the earth and enjoy everlasting union with nature, or humans are just stardust, or I can't wait until I die and grow into a tree. No, no, no. Fear of death is the natural human response to the reality and the brutality of death. Death is brutal, and so we must find hope outside of death. And so let me ask you, do you fear death? If you're afraid of death, it's good to say, yes, I'm afraid of death. And then I'll read to you from Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 is speaking of Christ as the foundation of our salvation, and then it says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... 
He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the author of Hebrews seems to think that in some sense we are subject to lifelong slavery to sin, at least in part because of our fear of death. And this is an odd thing to think about, but if you think about the midlife crisis, uh, they say that it used to happen in your 40s and in your 50s, and now they're saying it's happening in people's 30s. We're living longer, but the midlife crisis is happening sooner. It's an early life crisis. Um, and people realize they haven't done half the things they'd hoped to do when they're at the midway point of their life. And so what do they do? They buy a Mustang or a boat or some plastic surgery. But Mustangs crash, boats sink, and skin wrinkles. And so you must find lasting hope from outside of death. And what is that lasting hope? I'll read from Hebrews 2 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you fear death? Are you afraid to die? The solution to the fear of death is to know the one through whom Sorry, it's to know the one who through death took away the sting of death. Have you ever traveled in a country where you don't know the local language? How much easier is it to travel when you're with someone who knows the language? Jesus knows the language of death. And He has actually gone before all of us and experienced death on our behalf. And He has the wisdom and the power and the authority to guide us through death if we would but trust in Him. And so do you trust in Jesus? Do you have hope apart from death? Because death is brutal. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Do you hope in Jesus who can free you from the power of death? My third observation about death is that death is universal. And so we must prepare for it. Death is universal. Look down at verses 11 through 13. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Some of you will know the, the uh, musical Hamilton. Uh, death, it has, there's this line from, from Hamilton that says, death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the sa saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. Many of us are not surprised by the death of Saul, Right? Saul deliberately and stubbornly refused to repent of his sins. And so his death should be no surprise. But Jonathan, right? Jonathan, Saul's son, he seemed like a righteous man. 
He cared deeply for David. He honored his father. Why him? Why Jonathan? Because death is universal. Each of us will die. And so it's important that we begin to prepare for it today. You don't know when your death will come. Uh, when I was about 18, I had a friend uh, named Mo. And Mo and I would usually hang out after class, our college classes when I was in community college in downtown Chicago. And one day when I hadn't seen him for at least a month because it was summer, um, I'm scrolling through Facebook when people still used Facebook. And I saw a post made uh, on his Facebook made on his sister's behalf. And Mo had died because of some heart problem that he had had. And I don't know if he was aware of it, but his death was sudden for me, it was sudden for his family, and it all happened before he was 23. Mo didn't have the luxury of a, a long life to figure out what he believed about God. And we don't know that we will either. And so if I could leave you with one thing, it's to prepare for death today. Prepare for death today. And how do we prepare for death? There's a lot of good things you could do. You could probably make peace with your neighbor, make peace with your family, make sure that you don't have a ton of outstanding debts. But more than that, you need to make peace with God. Your family and your money will not stand with you when you are standing before God on Judgment Day. And so how can we prepare for death how can we stand before God with confidence and without fear? The only way to know that you will stand before God with confidence and without any shame or fear on Judgment Day is to know the one who through death defeated death and the one who wields the power of death. You need to know Jesus. And for some of us it may seem cliche, I hope not, but it may be. But friends, death is tragic, it's brutal, and it's universal. And so we need to look to the one who will raise the dead to life. We need a hope outside of death. And we need to prepare for it today. And this is the gospel message in contrast with the Philistine gospel. Right? The Philistines brought death with them. Jesus Christ descended from heaven and he took on human flesh. That's Christmas. And then he was murdered on a wooden cross. And he rose again, thus defeating death. And then after ascending into heaven, he now sits at the right hand of the Father and he will one day come to judge the living and the dead. This is the message of the Gospel. And it is the only thing which can bring peace to our souls. And so do you believe it? Do you believe the good news of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the um, sweet gift of Your Word given to us in 1 Samuel chapter 31. I, ask for, or I pray for those here who do not yet know Jesus that they would take seriously the uh, call to repent and to believe uh, in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I pray for those who do believe here. Um, of course, there are many who do believe here I pray that they would be nourished, that their faith would be built up, that they would know you better, and that they would trust your Son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.